please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that our words and our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight through your holy cross. Amen. Please be seated. How many folks here remember the there's your sign or here's your sign jokes? You remember those jokes? The punchline always ended. Here's your sign. Remember that? Uh, it was a routine by Bill Engvall, uh, really popular, probably, I don't know, 2010, maybe a little earlier than that. And the premise was this, that stupid people should wear signs warning the rest of the world not to trust or rely on them because doing so only leads to disappointment. Of course, the reason that the jokes themselves are funny is because when you hear the jokes, we all find ourselves as the stupid person once in a while, right? Here's a few. One day I locked my keys in the car and was standing there with a hanger halfway through the top of the window. A guy walks up and says, lock your keys in the car. Without missing a beat, I said, nope, just washed it and was hanging it up to dry. Here's your sign. Went to the grocery store, got everything on my list, and went up to the checkout. I put a bag of pet food for our rabbit on the conveyor. The girl looked at me and said, do you have a rabbit? I looked at her and said, deadpan, nope. Just like them, because they're crunchy, you know. Here's your sign. Went to the grocery store. I'm sorry. It's like before, my wife and I moved. Our house was full of boxes. And I can identify with this one as of recently. And there was a U-Haul truck in our driveway. My friend comes over and says, Hey, you moving? Nope. We just like packing our stuff up twice a week to see how many boxes it takes. Here's your sign. I love those jokes because they're clean, they're funny. And again, like I said, they're self-deprecating to some degree. Our lives are full of signs, aren't they? We stop and think about it for a minute. Simple signs marking you where to exit, where to come in. There's other signs too. Signs that keep us safe. Bridge out. Elevator out of order. High voltage. Danger poison. And we neglect those signs at our own peril. Finally, there's signs that we venerate, which is a little bit more complicated. You think about these, your mind might go right to religion, and of course we're going to end with the cross. There's other things we venerate too, right? Perhaps a flag, or a grave marker, or other things that we're really closely attached to, that are part of our identity. In the liturgy, we see all kinds of this, right? Why do I kiss the Bible after the Gospel passage or the deacon? Why would you do that? It's kind of weird. What's it say? I'm venerating the Word of God. 
because it's that important to my life. It's part of my very being. It's wrapped up in my identity. The Holy Cross, which is a day that the church puts aside, and it'll come up this Thursday, but we've transferred to today, is just one of those signs. It's a sign of something that's been made sacred by God. In fact, it was something set apart by God from the very beginning of time. For God knew at the very beginning, even before He created us, that we were going to fall into sin and that He was going to send His Son, Jesus, as a way for us to come back to Him by the blood of the cross, by His death and resurrection. We see evidence of this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, where God puts what in the Garden of Eden? It's the lesser-known tree, to give you a hint. What's the famous tree in the Garden of Eden? Well, that's the lesser-known one. Thank you. Maybe, maybe it's better known here. That's good. But most of us know the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Genesis 2.9 says that in the same garden is the tree of life. The tree of life. And in Revelation, the tree of life appears again in that heavenly city, Jerusalem. You see... That tree of life is the image of the cross found in the Old Testament. It's the foreshadowing, the prefigurement of what Christ is going to do for his people. Even back then in Genesis, God knew. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 8, God's Old Testament people are afflicted by snakes. Now, it's a bigger, it's a bigger story. I, I invite you to go back and read it as to why they're afflicted by snakes. But suffice it to say, they're afflicted by snakes. And the Lord says to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Ah, oh boy, that's a weird thing. Take a snake, stick it on a pole, and stick it up in the air, and if people see it, they will live. Okay? I mean, Moses does it. The people look at the snake and they live. What's going on there? Well, our Lord Jesus actually interprets it. Did you know that? In, Genesis, in um, John chapter 3, right after talking about baptism with that good and noble Pharisee, Nicodemus, Jesus explains why Moses does that. We're going to talk more about baptism next week as we baptize little Eddie Gilchrist. But this is an important point, too. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's saying, this is the prefigurement of my death. Of my death. That, again, the plan of the cross goes back to the very beginning. And it goes back to the very beginning for each and every one of us, too. While you were in your mother's womb, the sign of the cross was there for you. The plan of the cross, the victory of the cross 
was there for you and me as a powerful act of God's sacrifice for us and his love for us to save us, to redeem us, to restore us. It's all wrapped up. It's central to the Christian's identity. Or it should be, anyway. It should be. You can, and many have, gone through the Old Testament and shown all the ways that the cross is prefigured. And it'd take a longer sermon than today's to do so. But the reaction to the cross goes across the board, too. Right? From person to person, from individual to individual, from nation to nation. There are those who hate it. Persons who hate it. Who hates the cross chiefly? Well, Satan and his fallen angels. In fact, in Christian tradition, it is the scandal, quote-unquote, of the cross that's the reason for the fall of Lucifer. That's nowhere in Scripture precisely stated, but if you knit things together, you'll see that if Lucifer is, is repulsed by the idea that God himself would come as a man and die on the cross. Why is it, we just heard, I think it was last week even, wasn't it, that Peter proclaimed Christ? Is that right? I was here, I know, but I've been going to multiple churches, so I'm not sure which lectionary. I think that was the same one here. Two weeks ago. Thank you, Holly. Two weeks ago, right? Remember Jesus? Peter has just made this statement about Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus starts to talk about the cross. And Peter says, "What, Lord, may it never be. And what's Peter's reaction? Get behind me, Satan. Why does Peter call him Satan? That's weird. Right? It's because Peter is thinking like the devil in that passage. The devil can't believe that God would love people so much as to come and die on the cross. There's these icky people. Why do that? We see other elements of this too. Excuse me, too. It's why St. Paul writes in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 15, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's Colossians 2.15. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Those rulers and authorities are not earthly kings or princes or presidents. Although kings, princes, and presidents sometimes very much follow their demonic masters. (laughs) But rather, it's that ethereal world It's that spiritual world that's behind it. Did you know that making the sign of the cross disrupts witchcraft? Did you know that? It was testified to back in the days of ancient Rome that when a Christian was present and they were doing the divination, you know what the divination was in the ancient world? They would take animals and cut them up and look at through the intestines, and like it was a way of, you know, bringing, foretelling victory for your army, and so uh, the generals would do this. But there were Christians later on in the army, and if they made the sign of the cross, all of a sudden the divination wouldn't work. 
Why is that? Because of the power of the cross. Missionaries testify to the same thing today. Our own Father Joshua, who was an assistant priest here. Perhaps Father uh, Abraham, who's with us today, can also give us collaborating evidence of this. Say that the sign of the cross, the word of Jesus, dispels and drives away the demonic, destroys animalistic religions, traditional religions in Africa and elsewhere in the world. St. Anthony of Padua writes this, he says, The demons make their seeming onslaughts against those who are cowardly. Sign yourselves, therefore, with the cross and depart boldly, and let these make sport for themselves. The cross is powerful. The cross is powerful as a sign, not just as what it's signing. The sign itself is powerful because God has given it that power. You see, it doesn't merely symbolize something or represent something. It is something. It's part of an eternal cosmic plan that goes back to the beginning of time. And dear friends, what that says to us as Christians is that what we do with our bodies is important. What we do with our bodies is important, right? Do you know that making the sign of the cross is not a Roman Catholic thing? It's not just a Roman Catholic thing. It's something that Christians have done going back to the first centuries. It's something that the Reformers wanted us to do. What are other things that we do showing reverence to the cross? When we come into a holy space like this, the very first thing that you should do when you walk in is to look to the cross in a church. And at the very least, to bow your head to it. Why? Because that's your cross. As well as Jesus' cross. He's made it your own. That's your source of life. That's your source of redemption. That's your source of salvation. Not because it's like magical but because God has made that sign, that symbol, the thing by which he's saved you and me. We say it in our collect during noonday prayer, O Lord, who stretched out his arms upon the hard wood of the cross that all men might be saved. Holy Cross Day reminds us not just of Jesus' death, but of Jesus' victory. And therefore, when we apply it, as we look at the rest of the scriptures today, and I'm not going to go through them line by line today, it's not an expositional sermon, but if you look at the scriptures, for, for example, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, and very quickly, look at verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's the angels again. Why in heaven as well as on earth and under the earth? Because it's not just about us humans. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Dear friends, the cross is powerful. It's also in our worship that our actions as Christians begin. When we come into a church and we bow before the cross, as we come in and we bow as we leave, and let me just demonstrate to you, because I had forgotten this. I always taught this. But I attended a church where people did it. When you enter your pew, just give a simple bow before you go in. And if it helps you, say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Because this is a mark of love. Look, it's not, something that, it, it's not something you have to do, right? It's not something that, that you're going to go to hell if you don't do, right? The whole point is that it's an act of loving God. It's aligning ourselves with his power and his will instead of our own. Right? That's why we do it. When the cross comes by in the procession and we're standing in a pew, I don't get to stand in pews very often anymore, right? So, but you'll sometimes see people do this as the cross goes by. Why? Because it symbolizes Jesus our King is in our midst. The cross comes out of the Gospel symbolizing that Jesus is here with us as we read from his word. These things are the ways that we worship. They're the ways that Christians have worshipped since the first century. And they're weird to us because we live in the 21st century. (laughs) But the question is, is is something being weird bad? Right? Maybe we've got things backwards. Maybe we've got things backwards, right? I think we do. But finally, it's not just about what we do here, right? Why do we do these things in worship? Why do we bow our heads in the name of Jesus? Why do we sign ourselves in the name of the cross? Why do we bow to the cross? Well, these are things to form us and send us out into the world. Right? Do you realize that like, this is a lab? You know, we don't have like, test tubes and things in here, but the church is a lab. It's where God's people come to be refreshed, but it's also where God's people come to learn and come to put into practice those things that have been going on in their heads that they read in the scriptures or that they've prayed, right? To come together with others and, and be weird together. Because you are weird. So am I. It's okay. Be weird together. So that when we go out into the world and the name of Jesus is used, bow your head. Try it. See if it starts a conversation. Someone cusses using the Lord's name in vain. Bow your head. See what happens. Might start an interesting conversation. Dear friends, we are people of the resurrection. The first were people redeemed and restored and saved by the cross. Happy Holy Cross Day. Take your adoration of the cross from this place into your life so that together we might proclaim the glory and the triumph that Christ has won for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.